Today, we're taking a pause from the story to explore a critical question. What does the narrative so far have to do with Jesus? We'll look into that today on The Bible Brief. Before we start today, we wanted to say welcome to all our new listeners. In the last few weeks, the listenership of the show has more than doubled, and we're thankful to have so many new people listening to The Bible Brief. Thanks especially to our Japanese and Filipino listeners. We even saw the podcast chart for a while in the religion and spirituality categories in both countries. You, listener, are the reason this show exists, and we can't wait to bring you more of the story of the Bible. If you haven't told your friends about the show yet, will you do that today? Your recommendation to your friends means the world to us, and it helps the show reach more people. We want everyone on the planet to know the life-changing story and message of the Bible. And your recommendation could be the first step for someone to see the wonder of the Bible story. If you want to help the show, tap the share icon on your podcast player to text it to a few friends right now. There's no telling how many people the show could reach if all our listeners shared it with just a few people. Okay, now before we move on in the Bible story, in this episode we're going to take a break to look ahead. If you've listened to the Bible brief before, you'll know that the whole Bible points to Jesus. And it's so full to the brim of things that point to Jesus that the only way we could begin to mention them is to regularly pause and look forward. So about every 8 to 10 episodes, we're going to take a pause like this. We'll be spanning the whole Bible and seeing how even a small reference in the New Testament helps illuminate and understand the Old Testament. Ultimately, we want you to just get a taste of the ways in which the whole Bible points to Jesus. So let's get to it. What do you think Abel's blood cried out to God? Remember when God confronted Cain with the murder of his brother? God said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Do you think that cry of the blood contained words? Or maybe it was just a moaning sort of a cry? Maybe an angry cry? Was it an accusation that Cain did this to me? Or was it a sad cry of despair? Well, I wish I could tell you that the Bible gives us the answer to that question. But at the end of the day, it appears that the language used is more symbolic and literary than it is literal. That is, it's probably not that Abel's blood literally made a sound. It's more likely that the fact of Abel's death, known by God, was itself a cry of injustice and discord to God. Imagine this from God's perspective, which I admit is impossible, but we can try anyway. God, the author of life itself, the creator of human life, the one who breathed into man to make him alive, God, in his knowledge of Abel's death, experiences the natural discord of death, the upside-down nature of death, that death stands in opposition to life, that it's a separation of things that should be together. God was the one who put everything together, and now death was tearing things apart. We can at least try to imagine the thoughts of God in that moment. He didn't need to hear anything from the ground to know what happened to Abel. And yet, he chooses to describe his knowledge of Abel's death in terms that we're now familiar with. 
the voice of Abel's blood was crying to him from the ground. If we had to assign a word to the voice of Abel's blood, it might be the word injustice. As if the voice were saying, God, you must do something about this. I did not deserve this from Cain. I've been unjustly murdered and my blood must be avenged. Injustice. You know, there's another person's blood that could have cried the same thing, with even better reason than Abel. When Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, he was murdered too. He was murdered by the jealous and angry leaders of Jerusalem, condemned to death with false testimony, and placed on a cross to die a criminal's death. If anyone's blood could cry injustice with the blood of Abel, it would have been the blood of Jesus the only truly sinless and innocent person. And yet, there's a small note in the New Testament book of Hebrews that I want to point you to. This is from Hebrews chapter 12, verse 24. In this verse, Jesus, by virtue of his sacrifice on the cross to save sinners from their sin, by virtue of this free gift offered to all, Jesus is said to have, quote, blood that speaks a better word than Abel, unquote. Let me say that again. Blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Thousands of years after the murder of Abel, God, through the writer of the book of Hebrews, is using the illustration of Abel's blood speaking as a contrast to the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. The writer says that Jesus' blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. It speaks a better word than the injustice of Abel's blood. Jesus was different than Abel. Abel was taken by surprise when Cain rose up and killed him in the field. But Jesus wasn't surprised at all when he was condemned to death. In fact, Jesus didn't even resist it. Being God, he could have put a stop to the whole ordeal. But instead, he endured it. He endured it because his blood was spilled for a purpose different than Abel's. Jesus was, in a sense, Avenging the blood of Abel. Avenging all the blood that was ever spilled out of hate. Avenging every wrong that had been done, every sin from one person to another. But the special thing about Jesus was that he was taking the vengeance upon himself. He was both the avenger and the one upon whom vengeance was taken. He was taking the vengeance, you might say, that Cain deserved or that any other aggressor deserved. Jesus was taking that vengeance upon himself. Jesus, in his body on the cross, answered the cry of Abel's blood. If Abel's blood cried injustice, Jesus' blood had a better and more satisfying word to the world. Justice. There at the cross, justice, vengeance, and mercy meet. Jesus willingly gave his life so that victims might have their justice served, and that aggressors might have their sins paid for. More than that, to both victims and aggressors, he offers his blood as the satisfaction for their need. Jesus' blood speaks a better word than Abel's. Now keep this in mind, and then remember what we talked about on our last episode with Noah and his sons. Remember we said that it's an important principle in the Bible that life is in the blood. The blood itself is the primary signifier of life in the Bible. 
Abel's blood was significant because it was the first human physical manifestation of death in the Bible. It was the first time that a human physically died when Abel's blood was spilled. Abel was an example of what was to come in the Bible. We briefly went through the genealogy of Adam, all the way from Seth, the son who replaced Abel, all the way down to Noah. And we pointed out that in that genealogy, nearly every generation ends with the same words. And he died. Outside of Enoch, one of those two people in the Bible who was spared from physical death, every generation has dealt with the death problem. This death problem initially introduced to humanity by Adam and Eve in the garden. Listen to how the New Testament book of Romans describes this phenomenon. It says that sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so that death spread to all men, because all sinned. Said another way, through Adam, sin and death entered the world, and by virtue of every person's sins, death spreads to them. Death enters each of our lives, because all of us sin. But listen to this. Later in the passage, it says, But the free gift from Jesus is not like the sin of Adam. For if many died through one man's sin, much more have the grace of God and the free gift, by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one sin brought condemnation. But the free gift following many sins brought justification. For if, because of one man's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one sin led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so that by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now I know that was a lot, but listen to this. This illuminating passage draws a direct line of comparison between Adam and Jesus, the one man and the one man. The one man whose sin resulted in death and the one man who was righteous, resulting in life. Just as the offspring of Adam were characterized by the phrase, and he died, and he died, and he died. In the same way, those who receive the free gift of Jesus' righteousness will be characterized by the phrase, and he lived, and he lived, and he lived. Through Adam, death reigned among mankind. But through Christ, life reigns for all who believe in Him. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read another more succinct comparison. It says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. As we read through the Bible and consider the narrative, we can learn so many things about what Jesus ultimately accomplished on the cross. We can learn about His blood that speaks a better word than Abel's, and we can learn that His righteousness can be given to us so that we're ultimately transferred from death's reign over us to the reign of life over us. Now, we briefly paused for this episode so that we could give a sense of the fingerprints of Jesus everywhere in the Bible, 
And even in this, we skipped so many other items we could have mentioned from just the first several chapters of Genesis. What we wanted to do is just whet your appetite for more learning and study as you go through the Bible story with us. The story of the Bible is wonderfully dramatic, rightfully called the greatest story ever told. But if we just focus on the story, there's a chance that we could miss the point of the story. The point is Jesus. And as we continue to move through the narrative, we'll occasionally make these pit stops to make sure our compasses are pointed in the right direction as we navigate the Bible story. But now, now we're going to get back to the story. Back to the epic war that commenced back in the garden. The war between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. The war that will ultimately be won when the ultimate seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent while suffering a death blow himself. In our last episode, we saw God make some amazing promises to Noah, his sons, and all the animals who exited the ark. We saw him give the beautiful rainbow as a sure sign that he would never again flood the earth in judgment. But in our next episode, we're going to see the final chapter of Noah's life in the Bible. A chapter that will come to affect the rise and fall of nations and peoples. But it all starts with an echo of the beginning. A garden, a fruit, and a naked man. See you next time on The Bible Brief. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023